first find out, our first main point this morning, if you're taking notes, is that our hope is not defined by the world. Our hope is not defined by the world. What we should understand is that earthly blessings, earthly achievements, earthly accomplishments, earthly gains are not the measure of the success for the Christian. If you're here today because you think you get extra brownie points with God because you came to church in the snow, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I don't think you earned extra brownie points this morning. If you just gave in the offering this morning hoping that God is going to multiply your bank account or give you that promotion, I'm sorry, but that's not how this works. The most important thing that God is communicating in these first generations of the godly line is not just that they lived and not just that they died, but in between, they believed. This is the godly line. The line that God is preserving His promise that in the midst of a fallen world, there were righteous men who still followed God. We're seeing the promise that was given in Genesis 3.15 carried through Adam to Seth and on it goes. Yes, they lived and yes, they died. But most importantly, they believed. And that phrase, and he died, points us to that greater reality that the hope of the believer lies outside of this world. What should be most important to us is not the size of our bank account, our innovations, our achievements, but that we have a relationship with our Creator. Derek Kidner, theologian, he says this about the line of Cain. In the history of salvation, the family of Cain is an irrelevance. That's a sobering statement. All that Cain could hope for was confined to this world. Why? Because chapter 4, what we explored last week, he chose to depart from God. Francis Chan gives this warning to the church. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. It's the story of Cain. It's the story of many Christians today. How do we define success? Where is our hope? Yes, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel. Jared, they all died. But most importantly, they feared God and they were used by God to preserve this godly line. Maybe they did have great accomplishments. I tend to think that they did do great things. But they're not recorded here. Do you know why? Because they're not the most important. And in the history of salvation, the line of Seth, is all that's relevant. Faithfulness, righteousness, belief, that they had children who continued on in their line of belief is what God cared about most. 
what he chose to preserve for us in his word. So as we consider where we place our hope, we have to ask ourselves, are we letting the world define for us success? Or are we following what God has called us to be? And that's faithful. This is what we see as we continue to read on in Genesis chapter 5. As we come to verses 21 to 24, we get to know a man named Enoch. And Enoch is the first man in this godly line that we actually learn any additional information about. Read with me starting in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch is the picture of what we all should be hoping for and how God defines success. Enoch gives us a hope of a future without death and a future that is one of fellowship with our Creator, how we were always designed to live. The fact that Enoch did not experience death is significant. The fact that God, by His grace, chose Enoch to be translated, to be taken from this world to heaven, into the presence of God, that's a picture for us. That's our hope that we can have eternal life. For all those who walk with God, we have a guarantee, we have a promise that was experienced here by Enoch, the man who walked with God. And God said, come home with me. He did not have to experience death. You don't see, and he died when it comes to Enoch because Enoch walked with God. So he said our hope is not defined by this world. We also see that our hope is demonstrated by our walk. Our hope is demonstrated by our walk. This is most easily seen if we compare the seventh in line from Cain to the seventh in line from Seth. Do you remember Lamech from last week? This is what I call the bad Lamech. There's a Lamech that comes later in chapter 5. But the bad Lamech, the Lamech that's seven in line from Cain, if you look back at verse 23 and 24, we get this picture of Lamech. He calls his two wives. And he says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's seventy-sevenfold. And we heard last week that he's boasting. Lamech is boasting in his sin. You see his arrogance. I'm sure that he was confident in his, his line, his heritage, his own accomplishments. He's a violent man. He was proud that he killed a young boy. This is the seventh in line from Cain. The seventh in line from Seth is Enoch. Enoch's characterized by his relationship with God. By walking with the Lord. We're going to take a little bit of a sidebar here. What does it mean 
to walk with God. A few things for you to consider. A decent amount of scripture, you might just want to listen as we go through. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, it's a walk that's fueled by faith. Hebrews 11.6, And without faith is it impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. If you go back one verse, do you know the example that precedes this verse? It's Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Enoch pleased God. He walked with God. And Hebrews calls that faith. What does it mean to walk with God? It's going to be a walk that's fueled by faith. By God's grace. We'll see by the Spirit's power. This is how our walk ought to be defined. The walk of a Christian, the walk with God, begins and continues by faith. After the birth of his son, Enoch is 65, Enoch then walks with God for three hundred years. It doesn't say Enoch walked with God one day and he took him. Enoch's faith was consistent. It was long term. It was daily. And it was fueled by faith. We see in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Not only is our walk to be fueled by faith, it's a walk that is continued. Paul says it's rooted, it's built up, it's established. You've been taught, you are learning, you're being thankful. The Christian faith is not a one-day experience. The Christian faith is continual. You want to know what it looks like to walk with God? It begins today, but it lasts forever. It's a continual walk of faith. It's also a walk centered on Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 4-6 says this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then First John tells us, but if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What does it look like to walk with God? It begins by faith, it continues by faith, and that faith is rooted and grounded, established in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Not only is it centered on Christ, but it's dependent on the Spirit. We're familiar with the verses from Galatians 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
In other words, if we want to walk with God, it's going to be by the Spirit who indwells us. It's the Spirit that gives us strength to overcome sin. It's the Spirit that gives us the ability to fulfill the will of God. It's by the Spirit that we submit ourselves to Him. It means we're dependent on the Spirit. We're submitting to Christ through the Spirit's power. It's also a walk that points toward heaven. We know another piece of information about Enoch from the book of Jude. The 14th and 15th verse of Jude says this, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That's a lot of ungodlies. And Enoch was the one who was prophesying judgment. And I don't think he was doing it as a high and mighty, I'm the one of God and you're all a bunch of ungodly sinners. But I think his walk demonstrated his faith and it pointed people to his creator. It pointed people to the promise. And Enoch's walk pointed others towards heaven. He was warning them of the coming judgment of Christ. As believers, our walk should do the same. Does your walk point others toward heaven? Does your walk point others towards Jesus? Is your walk defined on a dependence on the Spirit? Are you faithful? At the end of the book, Revelation chapter 3, we get this picture of a, of a small remnant of church in Sardis. Revelation 3, 4 says, Yet you still have a few names. It's almost a call back to these, this narrow line that we see in Genesis 5. You still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our hope is eternal life. Our hope is a life clothed in white, reigning and ruling with Christ. It's a walk that points toward heaven. And then lastly, I think we could summarize this whole sidebar by saying, what does it look like to walk with God? It's a walk that is focused on relationship. Enoch walked with God. It's it's a picture of relationship, of trust. It's not about perfection. It's not about accomplishment. Our desire as we walk with God should be not only to please Him, but to know Him, to experience Him, to become who He has called us to be, which again can only happen through faith. Walking with God is how we are conformed to His will, how we are conformed to the image of Christ as we are transformed within. I think God is more interested in your relationship with Him, 
or His relationship with you than anything that you are doing or experiencing on this earth. So as you walk through this world, as you walk into your jobs tomorrow morning, as you walk with your families, as you consider where you're heading, be sure that you are walking as Enoch with God. Trust that Christ goes with you. So we said that our hope is not defined by this world and that our hope is demonstrated by our walk. And lastly, we're going to say that our hope is passed on by faith. Our last point is found in the significance of the names the fathers chose to give their sons. Now, in our culture, it isn't such a big deal. We just pick names that we like or sound good, or maybe they have some significant meaning to you personally. It's a big deal in ancient culture, big deal in Hebrew culture, big deal here in Genesis chapter 5. So we go back to verse 21 of chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. He named his son Methuselah. And what we know is that the meaning of the name Methuselah is about the equivalent of when he dies, it shall come. Well, what's it? Well, the it is what Enoch had already been prophesying. Judgment. God's judgment. And I think there's a future end judgment that he's pointing to about we need to be right with the Lord. But when Methuselah dies, it shall come. Methuselah dies 969 years later. And if you take the genealogy as it is written, which I think we have good reason to do, and you add up all the numbers, the year that Methuselah dies, guess what happens? The flood. And so we'll be talking about the flood in the next coming weeks. Um, starting, I think, in two weeks, actually. Um, I'll introduce it next week. Enoch, because he was walking in with God, because he was a prophet, he says, Methuselah, when he dies, it shall come. It's also interesting just to consider that Methuselah not only is a prediction of God's judgment coming, but he's also the longest living person that we know of. 969 years. No one lived longer than him. Why did God wait so long? And I'm sure there were some people, maybe from Cain's side of the family, that would have mocked Enoch. That would have been mocking the godly line. What judgment? Don't you see our success? Don't you see our prosperity? What judgment are you talking about? Second Peter 3.9 tells us why. Tells us the heart of God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. The context in the preceding verses talking about Noah. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Get this picture of God's patience, his heart for all men. Not that he wasn't bringing judgment. Not that we won't face judgment, but as we live here today, as we look around us in an increasingly corrupt culture, we should see the patience 
the kindness and the grace of God and our walk should point people towards Jesus. After Methuselah, he names his son Lamech. Uh, we'll just keep reading so we can say we've read the whole chapter here this morning. Verse 25, Methuselah had lived 187 years. He followed Lamech. Methuselah lived after he followed Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. And then the flood came. He names his son Lamech. And then we get a picture about Lamech. Lamech is one of the few people here that we actually get to know a little more information about as well. Verse 28 of Genesis 5. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he followed a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. What's interesting about this few verses here is that Lamech would have been 56 when Adam died. Sometimes it's hard to get our, our mind wrapped around. We're thinking hundreds and thousands of years between these patriarchs, but they're not. They're contemporaries because they're living so long. At, Lamech was 56 when Adam died. And then 126 years after Adam died, Noah is, on, is born. And, and what's interesting is a commentary we get about the name Noah. Lamech had lived 182 years. He followed a son, called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. What's about to happen in Genesis 6, the ground is about to open up. What's going to come out of the ground? Water. It's going to bring God's judgment. It's going to bring the flood. It doesn't sound very good. It doesn't sound like relief or comfort or rest. But that's what Noah means. The name Noah means rest or comfort. And so Lamech says, I'm naming my son Noah because Noah, through Noah, whether he knew it was going to be through the flood, I don't think so, but he had faith. This is the golly line that my line will continue. And through Noah, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. What Lamech is remembered for is longing to see a relief from the curse. And what the flood, what we'll see the flood doing is ridding the world of a whole bunch of wickedness, a whole bunch of sin. It's not the cure, it's not the final judgment. But the picture that we get is Lamech longing for relief and rest. Now I just want you to imagine this with me. It's not in the biblical record. We're using our imagination here as we head towards the end. I told you Lamech was 56 when Adam died, the first man. Which means, as a young boy, Lamech could have talked with Adam. I could imagine growing up in the culture that we're seeing is getting increasingly, increasingly, increasingly evil and wicked, that one day Lamech might go to his dad and say, why are we doing this? Why are we living this way? 
We look weird. We're different than all those people out there. And why aren't we doing this, that, and the other? And why, why aren't we experiencing success? And you keep talking about God and all this stuff, but man, what is this about? And so, Lamech's dad, Methuselah, hey, let's take a walk. And so, Lamech goes with his dad down the street, down the country, over the hill, wherever your imagination has taken you. And they knock on a house that's been around for a long, long time. And they knock on the door and Lamech's wondering, where in the world did that take me now? And the door opens and this old man opens the door. And Methuselah says, Lamech, I want you to meet Adam. Lamech's thinking, I think I've heard of him before. Yeah. Here's Adam. So Lamech, I'm going to go take a walk. I think Adam might have a few things to talk to you about. So I envisioned Lamech coming into Adam's house, his tree house, saying, why don't you sit down here? And Adam begins to tell Lamech about God. About a time in the garden when everything was perfect. How he walked with his Creator in the morning. How he ate fresh fruit off of any tree he wanted of the beauty and the radiance of God, the fellowship and how great it was. And then Adam's tone changes, chokes up a little bit, tears forming in his eyes, and then he starts to explain sin and where it started, and how it affected him, his wife, how they no longer could walk physically with the Lord in the garden. And the tears come down as then he tells the story of Cain killing Abel. But then he tells of the hope and the promise of Seth. And then he tells Lamech of his grandfather, Enoch, who walked with God. And he starts connecting these dots for Lamech and saying, even though we're so torn and broken and I bear the responsibility for a, a lot of the sin that's in this world today, our line has held on to the promise. And God has been faithful to our family your grandfather walked with him. He didn't die. And Lamech, that's our future too. As we walk with God, we are promised a future with God where He will restore all things to how He once intended it. And I would just hope and imagine that after the hours passed, Lamech 
leaves Adam's house. And for the rest of his life, he's enthralled, he's changed, he's transformed by this story. And all he can think about is the tears in Adam's eyes as well as the hopefulness that he has. And so when he's 56 years old, he has a son, Noah. And he's so longing for the redemption and the relief and the rest that God has promised. He says, this is the one who will bring us rest. As he anticipated God making everything right one day. Now I say all of this to tell you this, to ask you this. What are you passing on to the next generation? Parents, what are you teaching your children? What are you teaching your grandchildren? Time is short. If you didn't know, you have about 936 weeks from the time a child is born until they graduate high school. It sounds like a big number until you start taking one away every week. Before long, you're down to 107. You only got a couple years left. And soon it's one. And they're gone. And they're doing their own thing. What will they know of success? What will they know of your faith? What will they know of your God? What will they count most important Where will their hope rest? Where will they walk? With whom will they walk? Where will they choose to go? How will they grow up? What are you teaching the next generation? This applies for parents and grandparents, but it applies for everyone as we come together as a church and as we're trying to raise a spiritual generation. I so appreciate we've got some great youth workers, some who aren't married, some who haven't had kids, and they're here and they're saying, we're investing in the next generation. What you're doing matters because our success, our hope, is not in the success of this world. Our hope is not in what we can achieve. Our hope is not in looking inside of ourselves to live our best life now. Our hope is in the promise. The refrain, and he died, will be said of you and me. What's happening in between? Hebrews 9, and just as it is appointed for men, man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear for a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The hope for us today is that we will die. That's our hope, that we will die, but that we will obtain and have obtained deliverance through Christ, that we will be with Him. In the words of Christ, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes in Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed, just as Enoch passed from earth to heaven, we too can pass from death to life. The question is, where is your hope today? Our hope is 
not in this world. Our hope is demonstrated by our walk. And our hope is passed on by faith. Let's pray. Dude, I'm thankful that we don't have to be perfect. That none of this is about perfection, accomplishment, achievement. That we are called to be men and women of faith. And that faith is a gift of grace through your Son. And so I pray as we consider trying to figure out how in the world we're supposed to live life, live right in a world gone wrong, that we would keep our eyes on you, that we would keep our hope in you, that our lives would, would be demonstrations of your love and our faith, that the way we walk would point others towards you that we would understand the most important work we could do today is to teach and to show the next generation what faithfulness looks like, what trust in your promise looks like, that we might be men and women, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, youth leaders children's workers, nursery workers, Awana leaders that present you to an ungodly world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.